so I came to the realization that I've been thinking about this muggle wizard shit all wrong. It doesn't map onto race because it's not about race. It doesn't map onto sexual orientation or gender because it's not about that either. Nor is it about economic class. It's more Charles Murray than Karl Marx, more E.L. James than C.L.R. James. It's the pure neoliberal fantasy that the true divide between us is the divide between the educated liberal elite and the unwashed masses who need to be looked after, coddled, and put to work. It's the faux-cultural divide between Fox News and NPR, that unbridgeable gulf that exists almost exclusively in the minds of the people who take hillbilly elegy seriously. It isn't a morality play about race and class divides, it's a celebration of the same milquetoast imperialism that needs a fucking vox-splainer to weigh the moral costs and benefits of air-raiding hospitals and whose idea of anti-racism is a mealy-mouthed call for the diversification of the world's oppressors. It's not Harry Potter and the important allegory about race and class, it's Harry Potter and the desperate attempt to gloss over the crisis of late capitalism. Alright, so we're on chapter 13 here, and uh, this one is called The Very Secret Diary. Not just a secret diary, no. This one's very secret. Okay, so we're back, and Bossy Girl is a furry, and Madame Pomfrit is covering her up with a blanket because being a furry is really embarrassing. And then Harry and Ron visit her and give her her homework, and then complain about the fact that they're doing that. And then Ron notices that she's sleeping with a get well card from Sue Grafton, like under her pillow. And he's all pissed, like, uh, can you believe she's into that blowhard? And like, okay, so we've already gone over the fact that she is, in fact, really dumb for doing this. She, of all people, should be able to see that this dude is just full of shit. And the fact that Ron's complaining is just telegraphing the inevitable romantic linking between Ron and Bossy Girl. But I think this is maybe a somewhat weird characterization, because it's supposed to show that Ron is into her and is jealous, but what it's actually showing is that Ron is a far better judge of character than she is, and that his constantly pointing it out is really a way of showing how stupid he thinks she is. So it's complicating the very thing it's designed to show. That's kind of weird. And so they leave, and then they go see, like, Filch or someone. I don't know. And he's complaining or something. I don't know. And then Harry goes and sees Moaning Myrtle, and she's complaining about people throwing books at her. And Harry's like, who gives a shit? You can't feel it. And she's like, I don't like it. I just, like, sit around here thinking about death. That's what I'm into. Fuck these guys with their throwing the books. And Harry's like, oh, wait, do you mean this book? And then Ron's like, don't touch it. It could be dangerous because there's a book on the ground. This is really weird because they've gone and picked up a bunch of other books throughout the, this whole series. And all of a sudden now Ron's getting all weird because apparently there's some book that Ron's dad knows about called Sonnets of a Sorcerer, which if you read it, you speak in limericks for the rest of your life, which is really stupid because sonnets are 14 line poems, typically an iambic pentameter. Uh, and dealing with themes of, of love and loss, whereas limericks are five-line poems, typically in an anapestic meter, uh, and are usually structured as a joke. I'll tell you what's a joke, is the fucking wizard world's knowledge of poetic forms. That's a fucking joke. And anyway, so actually the book is a diary of this guy named T.M. Riddle, and Ron's like, I know that guy, he won a special services award 50 years ago. And I know that because I burped slugs on his award and then had to clean it up. And Harry's like, that's gross, dude. His name isn't TMI Riddle, bro. And then they look through it, and it's completely blank. And Ron's like, eh, throw it at Morning Myrtle. 
She hates that, and our continuous, relentless cruelty towards her is funny to me. And Harry's like, no way, this is definitely a MacGuffin. It's going to come into play later in this book somehow. And so then he puts it in his pocket. And so then we do a time jump, and Bossy Girl has grown out of her furry phase, and, which again, this book is just like, let's give this person a weird consequence for exactly one chapter and have it lead to neither furthering any action nor adding to her character in any meaningful sense. And so then the three of them argue about this book, and Bossy Girl makes the so obvious it's insane that neither Ron nor Harry thought of it earlier suggestion that perhaps the diary was written in invisible ink. And the whole time Ron is like, I need to completely break out of character for a bit just to needlessly shit on any idea you guys come up with about this book for some unknown reason. Like, seriously, this is not a previously known character trait of Ron's. Why is he doing this? He's like, it's nothing. There's nothing there. It's not Invisible Ink. We can find nothing of value in this book. Let's throw it away. Like, dude, you're usually cool about these sorts of shenanigans. What's going on with you, man? You trying to hide something? What's happening there? And so they can't figure it out. And then the narrative does this weird fade thing where it just sort of rambles about some random people at Hogwarts for a few paragraphs. It's like, yo, some dude named Ernie uh, still hates Harry. And that one ghost guy is still a dick, and Professor Sue Grafton still thinks he's great. And then it talks about Sue Grafton putting on this weird Valentine's Day celebration, where he hires a bunch of dwarves to play harps and shit. This sounds super exploitive. But then the dwarves just, like, stay and hang around, and, like, they give people Valentine's and shit. And one of them is like, hey, you, Harry Potter! And so this dwarf gives Harry Potter a singing telegram that also includes physical assault for some reason. And then Harry tries to escape, and he falls and gets his backpack all ripped up because the dwarf is, like, not letting go, and then everything spills out. Then, because, of course, anytime he's in a compromised situation, that's like a bat signal to crappy Dracula kid. Crappy Dracula kid shows up, and Harry tries to run away, and the dwarf grabs him by his knees and, like, knocks his ass out. Like, I don't care if I'm singing this shit to a corpse, I am singing this shit. And so then, of course, in the commotion, Crappy Dracula Kid picks up that diary of T.M. Riddle and is way too stupid to realize it's not Harry's or that it doesn't have anything written on it. Uh, but instead of just letting him come to that conclusion on his own, Harry does a spell that ejects the book from Crappy Dracula's hands and Ron catches it. And then Crappy Dracula Kid is like, oh, hey, Ginny, who is standing there, Harry Potter hated your violent dwarf telegram. I am contractually obligated to be a total fucking asshole at least once per chapter. So there it is, and then he leaves. And then Harry notices that the diary didn't get any ink spilled on it, even though uh, all of his other books got ink spilled all over them because he had, like, a ink thing. So it's like an ink-free book. You know, it's like ink-blocking magic on it or something. And so then that night, Harry writes in the book, and the writing immediately disappears. He writes, I am Harry Potter... And then the book is like, Hi, Harry Potter! I'm a talking book! And I'm here to teach you about the solar system! And then it cuts to this musical scene about the solar system. It doesn't do that. It actually, uh, it's just like, Hi, I'm Tom Riddle. Uh, the Chamber of Secrets was opened, and a monster came out and killed a kid. I caught the guy who opened it, and he was expelled. But I was forced to lie and cover it all up, because Hogwarts is a corrupt, rotten institution with no transparency or accountability. And Harry's like, Who was it? And the book's like, I can show you. And Harry's like, Jesus Christ, dude, just fucking tell me. And the book's like, you complain throughout the entire first book about how I tell too much and don't show enough. And Harry's like, that wasn't me, dude. That's the 
guy that does this podcast and looks like same difference and Harry's like besides that's not really what he meant and looks like too bad and so then Harry's like fine whatever and there's this little date on the calendar that starts glowing or whatever and then he puts his eye up to it and he like falls into it like some 90s tv trope and then he goes back in time 50 years ago to what is now Mumblecore's office but then it was someone else's office and and no one can see him it's like in a Christmas carol you know and so then Riddle and the old guy who Mumblecore replaced, whose name I'm not going to learn, just out of principle, had a discussion about how it isn't safe, and Riddle should go back home to his orphanage. And then Riddle goes walking off, and there's like the most long, drawn-out description of nothing at all, until finally we get to the fact that it was Hagrid who was trying to take care of the monster as a pet, because that's Hagrid's thing, remember? And the monster got out, and... Uh, kill the kid and then harry like comes to and ron's there and he's like what what's going on and harry's like it was hagrid who opened the chamber of secrets and ron's like that motherfucker and that's the end of the chapter so like the fact that it's hagrid is actually kind of a cool development because it's kind of problematizing the notion of evil which is good i think but in order to talk about this we kind of have to get into the concept of evil for a second which i'm all too happy to do so because let's be honest, this whole thing is shaping up to be this sort of morality play about good versus evil, and I think it's helpful to be clear about what these sort of deeply entrenched theological categories mean, and whether they're worth thinking about at all uh, in this context. I think there's basically a few conceptions of evil. The first one is obviously just stuff that's really bad, right? Or like, evil defined as a sort of absence of good, and the sort of moral perniciousness that exists in actions but is sort of morally neutral when it comes to intentions. You can do evil despite having good or, or morally neutral intentions. And then there's this sort of different conception of evil, which is like a more theologically minded sense of evil. And it's this idea that uh, evil literally has no rhyme or reason, because if there's a reason, then it's back in the realm of the earthly, and evil is, on the theological account, sort of otherworldly. So it's a it's a evil just for its own sake, or to use the theologically correct terminology, just for the hell of it. So, you know, on this account, the guys who flew planes into the towers weren't evil because they had reasons that were, to them, morally justified. And if you sort of take this line of, of logic all the way to its sort of foundations, there are very few things in this world that are actually evil. And my problem with evil is that it acts usually as this sort of rhetorical sticking your fingers in your ears just like ah, i don't want to talk about this anymore that guy's evil fuck a better explanation right you hear this sort of thing a lot with like when, when someone like does like a mass shooting and people who don't want to get into the explanations of these things are just like intent on saying no this person is evil that's all there is to it i want to end this discussion so evil acts as this sort of vortex into which any sort of grounded explanation or reasons underpinning the notion of why this terrible horrible action took place is immediately wiped away to say that someone is doing something evil is to limit any sort of causal explanation because evil doesn't have a cause in the theological in the the sort of the, the judeo-christian sense and this is sort of counter to the idea of, of finding social explanations for destructive activities. It's something that has taken a, a strong root in the United States, I think, in part at least, because the time for 
development of those social explanations for destructive activities would have been the 20th century, but we were so concerned with the Cold War that evil was a better explanation for us than, you know, the product of your environment, because product of environment was some Soviet shit. And it's this idea of, like, better a monster than a machine, right? Like, if we're just products of our environment, then we're, we've, we've removed the humanity from ourselves. We've removed all agency, all autonomy, all individualism, and we're just pure machines. And to us, to those of us who are American, the embodiment of the pure machine mode of being a human was in the Soviets. Individualism requires everybody be wholly responsible for their own actions, and so to the extent that those actions cause massive destruction, then we need to paint the individual as evil. And here's where, but this is the part where I think the distinction collapses. Because yeah, the person wholly shaped by social conditions is a machine, but so is the person wholly free from any sort of social influence. I mean, that person isn't human. If you're totally free from any sort of social influence, you're not human in any conceivable sense of that word. To the extent that the word human means anything whatsoever, it's that we have some sort of commonality or connection with other people. Now, my problem with the theological account of evil as being distinguished from just normal destruction as being for its own purposes, or, or for having no purpose other than its own sort of self-generating purpose, I think that the problem there is that it removes the force of the word evil because it sort of relegates it into this very small sliver that's almost insignificant in terms of real-world application. You're essentially cutting the force of that word from any political or moral utility that it might have. But on the other hand, the worry about these finger-in-your-ears conception of evil is that we want to be sure that we, it, it's a balancing act. We want to be able to use it to describe things that are very strongly and very definitely evil while maintaining a sort of distance so we're not just finding the loopholes that allow us not to think about social explanations for phenomena. So the thing I like about theological conception is that it gets us towards a process-based approach. We need to start talking about evil in terms of actions rather than in terms of embodiments of people. So we need to move away from that individualist approach of evil as something that is you're sort of painted with and more towards evil as being expressed through a relationship. But I think that the more helpful way of conceiving of evil, if we were to keep the concept around at all, which I'm not sure I even want to go that far, but if I were to want to keep that concept around, I would want to refer to the morally destructive acts that are perpetuating and exacerbating existing oppressions, as opposed to the morally destructive acts that are working against existing oppressions, however wrongheaded that application may be. I want to reserve the word evil for only that category of destructive acts that perpetuate and exacerbate existing oppressions. That way it at least retains some utilitarian use while not acting as a way of, of skirting an issue. And I, of course, I have no real theological foundation for this position. And I don't even know if I fully agree with it, but maybe, maybe it'll become more clear as we go on. I also don't really know how any of this relates to Harry Potter, other than in the sense that Hagrid is clearly not doing evil in the theological conception of the word, although he may be doing evil by my own standard. But I, I guess that that's something that'll have to wait. Well, this got weird at the end here, didn't it? That's weird. 
talk about evil and shit and the nature of theology shit like that. 